Is your vulva normal? Is there an ideal type of vulva? Does giving birth change your vagina forever? And three years after making a video called Why I Always Hated My Vagina, do I still struggle with my body image issues? We'll be covering all that and more on today's episode of Borderline Inappropriate with Merle and Aria and Sam Hill, our guest today. Woohoo! Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks so much for really having me. Really appreciate you being here. You, you, you came all the way from Amsterdam just for this podcast. Just, I yeah, flew like 15 hours just for you guys. It's actually wild how we got connected in the first place. I should introduce you first. So Sam Hell is an illustrator and the owner of an incredible Instagram page that I personally um, have been a big fan of for a long time called the Vulva Gallery. Also has other accounts. Another one notable is the Body Diversity gallery. But essentially, for some of you, you may remember I did a video called Why I Always Hated My Vagina. It should have been vulva, but I said vagina at the time. And the vulva gallery was something that helped me through that whole journey of my own body dysmorphia. And um, Sam Hill is the one behind it. So the fact that we have you here on the podcast today is like beyond for me. It's just crazy. So I ordered the uh, vulva diversity book um, for myself and for my nieces because it's a celebration of vulva diversity and it's something I'm trying to keep going in my life and something I wanted to bring to my niece's life. So I ordered two of them and I was going to be seeing my brother, whose daughters they are, in Austin. And so I was like, I reached out because I hadn't gotten my books yet. And I expected to like have just some person, I don't know, some some random assistant or someone who would be like, oh, this is the ETA of the book. And Sam Hill was the one who responded and was like, hey, it's uh, currently it's just held up in Stockholm. I was like, oh my God, first of all, I seem like such a Karen right now because I'm like, where are the books? <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and Sam Hill's the one that responded. I was like, oh God, no. And I don't know, somewhere through us talking, you were like, I'm in LA because you could see where it was shipping and then we found out we had a friend in common I shot my shot in the dark and asked if you would come on the podcast and you said yes and I will say Merle was very very excited when when uh, she was telling me about this and so I was like oh yes we we have to have them on the podcast and so uh again I'm also appreciative of you being here you didn't have quite an impact on me as a person who never had a vulva but the the impact that you've had on people I love and the the greater world is can't be overstated enough you know, and so I'm excited just to be here to, to listen and to learn. So anyway, would you be cool telling us a little bit about the Vulva Gallery and your journey to that work? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So the Vulva Gallery is an online platform, educational platform that revolves around, well, yeah, vulva diversity, celebrating all the shapes and sizes and colors there are. It's all watercolor illustrations and I'm painting people's uh, vulva portraits. So they send a photo of their vulva to me and I'm painting, yeah the portrait and then they share their personal story. Next to the personal portraits, I'm also doing anatomical illustrations and diversifying them. So I, I started them uh, because I was like, you know, the textbooks only show like an outline or like a pink careless kind of vulva. And I was like, well, this is not really educational and it doesn't really reflect um, the diversity that's out there. And I started it in 2016 after I heard about the huge like global increase in labiaplasty surgery. So more and more young women are undergoing this surgery mostly to um, um, make their inner labia smaller and live up to a certain like ideal beauty standard that they feel like they have to live up to. And I was really shocked by that, by those numbers. And I was like, wait, why are we changing our bodies? Well, maybe our bodies don't need to be fixed, but the way people look at our bodies has to change. And then I was Googling long inner labia and didn't find any like 
diversity projects or like representations of how vulvas can look. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. Maybe I can start this and show like how great this range of diversity is and to show like in what shapes and colors we all come and that that's just normal and good. I mean, and you have done that. I'm sure you get messages all the time from people being like, thank you for finally showing me a vulva that looks like mine. Because I know I always felt like all I would see was the porn version, which was very like pink and I don't even like to say clean, but I guess plain like the line like what you see when when like a kid draws like or yeah, like, like a slit like a slit yeah that's probably a better word and I was like oh my gosh okay well is that like what it's supposed to look like because then I feel like there's something wrong with me and I also never did a thing where my friends and I would all like show each other what our vulvas did I've heard people who did do that and I'm like man I wish that I had probably like compared myself or contrasted myself with people because I I don't know. It just wasn't something I ever did, even though I had a mom who was super open minded and like, take this mirror and go look at yourself. And, <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. She was great. She's great. She's super encouraging. But still, it still found me. I still found a way to be really self-conscious about it and be like, something's wrong with me. Yeah, it's a story that I often hear in what people share with me um, that, yeah, on a, at a young age, they start like Googling or like looking at mainstream porn. I have to add that porn has been diversifying. There's a lot of great, like, diverse queer porn with all kinds of body shapes out there right now. But it is true that over the past few decades, when a teenager is just looking like a quick, you know, yeah. if you if you search well or if you pay for your porn, like, there's a lot you can find. But through a quick search, often people found a specific type of body that is maybe a little bit more like overrepresented, mm -hmm. just like, yeah, your experience and, and them looking at it like, oh, there is no hair on that body. It's like a super thin body, a wide body, an athletic build or like skinny body. And the vulvas look like a slit and very pink and short inner labia. And then you're like, oh my God, that's so <laughs> different from what I look like. Am I even normal or am I desirable? Because right. that's also a big, like, you can be like, okay, maybe... There are all kinds of shapes and sizes. I don't care because my future boyfriend or girlfriend or a lover or a partner is going to be like, ugh, I don't want to go down on you because you look so weird. And that's a big concern for a lot of like kids, teenagers, even like adults when they do engage in like sex and like intimacy. Totally. And I think you bringing that up about the partners and worrying about a partner, I personally never experienced and I'm fortunate, you know, I'm happy for that, but I never experienced someone reacting to me or being like, oh, there's something wrong with you or there's something different with you, but I still felt it. So, and I, I've seen comments on like the video I made, people saying they were bullied by their significant other, or they were told by someone, you know, that they were disgusting or they had someone pressuring them to get labiaplasty. I'm like, gosh, if I feel this way and no one said that to me, that kind of, that kind of bullying, that kind of treatment would that would do a severe damage on your self-image and your self-worth it's just as important for people who are not vulva owners to also educate themselves on the diversity so that they don't project that you know onto other people as well so it's really for everyone this episode is for everyone absolutely i mean i'm excited here just to be learning and sitting and being a part of this conversation i think that's what's important is for anyone listening to this is to take it as an opportunity if you are not a vulva owner to maybe learn more and you can apply that knowledge to your relationships with the ones you love who may be Volvo owners uh, as well. Yeah, but also the people who have penises, of course. Like if you educate yourself on how diverse our bodies can look. And also like I think 
one of my aims is that talking about these topics becomes more normalized and that um, these illustrations uh, or like any kinds of diversity illustrations will be part of like the basic textbook so that people like sex education starts, you know, once a, a kid is like becoming aware of their body, like, and it doesn't mean that we have to talk about sex with three-year-olds. You adjust it to the age and needs of the kids, which can also like be very diverse. Like not all six-year-old kids need the same type of conversation. They might be like different in their ways of like development. Um, But if you teach kids from a young age on like, we are all different, our bodies can look different. We have different skin tones and shapes. And like, that is all like great. If you encounter someone with a a, a body that's different from yours, it's not a reason to tease someone or to make fun of someone. And if you Im- like, if you implement that kind of knowledge already in uh, a young kid and teach them that, you know, respectfully talking about or not even mentioning someone's body shape, that will create such a different kind of vibe when they are old enough to engage in sex and when they or even teenagers, like instead of, you know, making jokes about weird types of bodies or labia or penises, like if you teach them, well, that can actually be really harmful. And let's not let's just not do that mm-hmm. and, and be respectful. Then you create such a different like base and you make kids more resilient to like all those negative possible negative negative feedbacks that they might receive at a later age. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm curious about uh, in the Netherlands and maybe Europe at large, but I guess we'll, you can speak specifically more to Netherlands. How is sex education? How would you describe? Is it, well, for example, in the US, you know, there's a lot of criticism for the way sex education is handled here. Are, are you happy with how the Netherlands handles sex education? I think in the Netherlands, there is not just one way we go about um, giving sex education or providing that to kids. It's different in cities compared to the countryside, whether or not religion is involved. Um, It differs per school, per teacher. I think overall, if I compare it as far as I know it and have heard in conversations, the Netherlands in general, compared to different parts of the world, it's maybe more of an open and down-to-earth conversation Mm. about like like nudity is... I think slightly more normal. Like if we go to a spa or sauna, people are nude and that's like not sexualized. That's just how you do it. Um, And I think that is great. It's also still developing the sex education in the Netherlands. Yeah, we still have textbooks that are very old fashioned that say like the clitoris is like this little pea shaped like Mm -hmm. knob on the top of the vulva. And that's all you like diversity is becoming more and more portrayed in textbooks. It is developing, but it's not there yet. Like I also have to like keep on like you know fighting for it, for that to be yeah more more inclusive and diverse. Um, also in the Netherlands, yeah. You had mentioned something when we were chatting before this about the root of the word for lip shame. Oh, yeah. Can you repeat that for this? Because I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, so we were talking uh, just before we did this episode um, over lunch about like what, why are we the people with the vulvas more embarrassed about our parts in comparison to 
the people with the penises, the boys or the people with, who have a penis, it feels like there's more pride around that uh, body part. Like, uh, what what's the difference? And I think there's a lot of explanations and there's not just one. But uh, then I referred to how we in the Netherlands, like, call our labia, which is schaamlippe, uh, which translates to shame lips. And our pubic hair is schaamhaars, shame hair. Um, and of course, that already creates a layer of shame. And yeah, w- over the years, we have been told to hide our our vulvas and to be embarrassed about it and to like protect our like pride by not giving ourselves instead of like being like, well, it's all like also connected to the slut shaming uh, compared to people with a penis who are like cheered on like, oh, yeah, like yeah, hook up with many girls like you're so cool. Right. There is a lot. Yeah. But yeah, language is a big part in how you relate to a body part. And it plays such an important role, even like subconsciously. People call people pussy, I guess. And it's like, oh, you're you're weak or like you're, you know, the way we use these words. But then I guess you call people a dick as well. So I don't know. Maybe that maybe that example doesn't really work. Yeah. But a pussy being used for something that is weak. Well, actually, right. a pussy is such a strong body part. Like you can yeah. push a whole kid out and like yeah. it, it can take a big pounding. And, you know, it, it, it can take so much. Yeah. Well, yeah, we should like... Right. It should be a compliment. Yeah. Use that as a strong word instead of uh, something that is weak. In conversations with people that might not be as sex positive, I tend to sometimes code switch and just say vagina. I really am trying to get myself to just say vulva across the board because it's just simply what it's called. I mean, the vulva, for those of you who don't know, is the external parts like the clitoris, the labia minora, labia majora. Um, the clitoral hood, and then the vagina is actually the can- the birth canal, the canal, the muscle that, well, you know, this, am I, I distinct? Is that a good distinction? The birth canal, yeah, yeah, Just the birth canal, the canal that leads up to the uh, right, the cervix, right. Yeah. So that's the difference. But I think we often use it as a we use vagina as a blanket term. Mm-hmm. For everything. And even when I did my video, the why I always hated my vagina, it really should have been why I always hated my vulva. But I had a feeling that people might not know what that was. So that's why I said vagina. So I don't know. That's just one more thing I wanted to mention as well. Yeah, it's it's good to know the difference and to make that distinction. And I also don't feel like... Um, we have to like police people and like you have to say this or you have to like use the words you're comfortable with. I do enjoy like I do appreciate it if people call it vulva because why would you call your mouth like a throat? <laughs> we don't do that. What's like yeah. the word vulva is such a cute and, and a nice word. And the more you use it, the more you get used to it. And it's just a matter of practice. But if you want to call it a pussy or a if a JJ, like go ahead, like <laughs> like call it whatever you want to call it, yeah. and maybe also in like a day to day conversation, you will call it something else than in the bedroom right. where you're like, oh yeah, I want you to like go down on my pussy, yeah. where you're like, oh darling, do you want to stroke my vulva? It's like, uh, <laughs> well, go for it. Like I love it if you do that too, but it, there's like, yeah, there's all kinds of ways you can like yeah. name your genitalia, and I think. When you go to a doctor and you say, my vagina is itchy, mm-hmm. the doctor will be like, 
do you mean your vagina or your like? It, yeah. it can be handy to know the right words to name the parts correctly, uh, so that yeah, you can convey your, you can convey your message a bit more clearly. So let me pull up a couple stats here just about labiaplasty because we were talking about that. This will be no news to you, but maybe it'll be news to you. Who knows? Okay, so for those of you who don't know, um, labiaplasty is a it's a cosmetic procedure which is usually done to either remove or make smaller the labia minora. Does it also have anything to do with the clitoral hood? Do people also do things like that? Do you know? Um, sometimes the clitoral hood can also be shortened or like, yeah, it, 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 it depends on well, every vulva is different. Right. So when the inner labia are very long and the clitoral hood can also be very like protruding a lot, sometimes the surgeon will choose to adjust both of right. those, but yeah, not necessarily. Okay. Yeah. So, and I've noticed that there's in my research, it seems that there's been a huge uptick. There was a huge uptick when I did this video, when I did the video in 2020, there's continued to be an uptick ever since in these procedures. And I have the numbers here. It says in the United States, labiaplasty procedures reported in 2021, a 36% increase from 2020. Um, from a global perspective, 164,667 labiaplasties were reported in 2020. That's a 73% increase from 2015. And girls 18 and younger account for less than 2% of all cosmetic operations, but almost 5% of all labiaplasties. So, you know, labiaplasties can be done for cosmetic reasons. There's also some instances where they're done for maybe some people... Um, experiencing discomfort because of, but those, but those situations oftentimes are very, a very small percentage of the pie. A lot of the time um, girls are coming in because they're uncomfortable with the way their vulva looks. So I've, I've done the research on this because there was a time when I considered, I, I just had the thought, I was like, well, the fact that this exists and the fact that people are getting it done you know, maybe it's something to consider. This was when I was a teenager. You can lose some sensation. It can also cause pain. Of course, there's always risk for infection. So it's not something that should be necessarily just taken lightly um, because there are risks that go along with it also. And also, you know, there are girls as young as 12 that are going in to get these procedures and they're not even fully developed yet. And in most cases, they're not even necessary. It's because they think they need to live up to a standard that isn't realistic, right? Which we see across the board, um, as far as beauty standards go, but with something as, as intimate and personal as your vulva, I mean, you would hope a lot of doctors would try to talk people out of that. It's just, and they're not cheap also. That's another thing. It's like, I looked up the prices of labiaplasties as well, and it obviously varies depending on where you are, but it can be uh, like in Florida, this is so random, but in Florida, it's like $2,500 to $10,000. And then somewhere in Beverly Hills, it could be as much as $25,000. So, you know, it's not just a little thing. Um, and it's just something I wanted to bring up. There's been, it continues to be an increase in these. And I think a lot of it is because girls feel alone, you know, and they don't, they don't feel represented. There's because there's not enough representation and there's not a whole lot of encouragement from mainstream media for content creators to, I mean, you probably understand this for content creators to make this kind of content because you get shadow banned, you get demonetized, you, you have real effects on your body of work because society doesn't think this is worth putting out there or it deems it as dangerous or like, you know, sexually deviant because we're talking about a part of our body that everybody, you know, knows or has. So it's just frustrating. Those uh, doctors that you 
you said like, oh, I wish like the doctors would inform the, the patient or the client about like they are there. Like I've I've talked to people who were like, yeah. And so I went to get a labiaplasty or I asked my GP and then they were able to affirm me in that I am actually normal and that there's nothing that should be, you know, adjusted. Um, so luckily they are out there. What I noticed uh, a few years ago, I had an exhibition and it was at a AIDS, World AIDS Conference. And a lot of uh, doctors uh, attended and, and I, I saw them walk by and I was just standing there next to my vulva illustrations. And they didn't necessarily know I was the one who made them. So I could listen to their conversations, like pointing wow. at, the, at, at the vulvas and like, talking about it. And it really struck me that there were uh, GPs among them pointing and like being like, oh, that's like, that's a weird one. Or that's, you know, and I felt so frustrated because I was like, I felt like you are the ones who should know better and who should know, like, I feel education about these kinds of diversity starts also outside of uh, specialized groups. So a GP should know about diversity and about how to talk to their patients about it and to, you know, affirm them to show, well, for example, the book that I published, The Celebration of Vulva Diversity, to have that in their waiting uh, uh, room. Um, and not only gynecologists should know about this, it all starts with making sure our healthcare providers are informed about these types of diversity and not like, and they, the good ones are also among them, right? But it's, it's, it struck me that even in the groups of, uh, of which you would expect them to be like totally like <laughs> informed, it's also not always there. And I don't mean to blame them, but it's just like, okay, it's surprising me. And it means that there's a lot of education to be done still. Furthermore, I mean, I keep going back to that video I made, but I just learned so much in that video. And I met so many important people, some really powerful um, sex positive advocates that were helping to empower women and, and my, the sex therapist who I interviewed who ended up being my sex therapist for um, some time. There was also a doctor I interviewed who was in OBGYN and he was not comfortable saying the word vulva when mm. he asked oh, me off camera. Yeah. yeah, he asked me off camera because I had a, I, I asked him to explain it and he said, well, do you want me to say vulva? And I was like, as opposed to what? <laughs> You're a doctor. <laughs> like, yeah, I hope so. And, you know, I had another doctor who confessed that they had, you know, done these procedures on 15-year-olds. And it's like, it's it's just, it's hard to hear because like you just said, these people should know better. And again, not to necessarily blame, maybe they never got the education. But then again, if you are a doctor, you probably got some, I mean, it just goes to show at that level, the education isn't quite there. Exactly. I, I love the idea you had of, having like the celebration of uh, vulva diversity right there on the table in the waiting room or something like that. That's the kind of change that needs to happen. But I mean, again, it's kind of a larger cultural thing. We need to be more comfortable talking about sex in general. The fact that this is taboo, right? The If it's a taboo topic. Well, and the fact that this topic is considered sex. Right. Because vulvas yeah. are not necessarily sexual. They are a body part like our noses and our ears and our butts. And of course... Um, our vulvas are uh, also or can play a big role or also can play part in sex acts, but it's not necessarily only a sexual thing. Like it's a body part that should not always be sexualized because it simply isn't always sexual. Yeah. 
Ears can be sexual. Ears are an erogenous zone. If we were making an episode yeah. about ears, would it be demonetized or would it be shadow banned? Probably not. But you know, but that's a really good point. As a baseline, talking about vulvas or talking about your vagina can be, or your penis can be something that might be tricky or nerve wracking. When you layer on the aspect of how much our vaginas do, we were talking earlier about how you can literally birth a human into this world. This should be something we're proud of, right? But there's even a layer of um, stigma there, how your vagina or your vulva might change when you're once you've given birth. Do you want to talk a little bit about that as well? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of myths and stigmas around vulvas. And that all comes back to this idea of like, there's this ideal vulva that is like, neat and tidy and tight and like you know it's like that's the one that we want for sex because that's the one that gives a man most pleasure which is also a whole we could fill a whole episode about that too <laughs> um, so both like shaming people for having lots of sex and then the myth that your vulva will get loose or labia will grow due to sex or masturbation it's all untrue and very annoying wow <laughs> that I, that's yeah, like, I was not familiar with the myth about some people say that the labia will grow if you have a lot of yeah, sex. Yeah, it's like wow. a thing yeah. to scare kids out of having wow. sex or masturbating. Like it will change. Masturbating too? Oh yeah, God. like, yeah. And it's not true, but like somehow these myths keep on going around and make kids feel like frightened to touch their vulvas or get like sexually active. Um, and the same goes uh, with like, yeah, giving birth vaginally. Um, so with the Volvo Gallery uh, in 2024, I'm uh, planning to do uh, specialized months, like I'm dedicating a full month every other month to a specific topic, inviting um, um, experts to talk about this topic and inviting community members to talk about like the topic related to their own experience. So I'm painting portraits and then uh, January will be about uh, pregnancy and vaginal birth and the pelvic floor and how those all like, uh, like how pregnancy and birth affect the vulva and the vagina and the pelvic floor. Yeah. So one of the, the, th the questions or the myths or like the things that come up is like, okay, so if you give birth uh, vaginally, will it change my vulva and vagina forever? Like, will I stay loose? And, or like, even, is that even a bad thing? Or like, what, what about it? And there's a lot of like, question marks around it because people just not often talk about these things um yeah so what was your question about it so i guess my my whole thing is like it's bad enough that just on a on a basis level like vulva owners and vagina owners are just kind of already there's a layer of shame mm -hmm. then you add something you do which is incredible like the fact that your vagina can be a birth canal for a human being and then you have people worrying that after that they're not going to be they're going to be used up or something or they're going to be too loose for sex to be enjoyable yeah for their partner for their that's a good distinction for their partner right not because that's uh, apparently what it's all about it's all about pleasing that partner who has a penis that he cannot enjoy the sensation as it was before. And it's silly, yeah, that there's not more credit given to you just giving birth and bringing life to the world. And then what you have to worry about is whether you're tight enough after that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> my gosh. I'm like, please. Like that's like that's the priority after something like that. And also the vagina is a muscle. I mean, it it is naturally it's it's a muscle it's contracting it's expanding like that's it's what that is what it is built to do and oftentimes it kind of reminds me of the whole breastfeeding thing in public how that's like a 
um, that's kind of a taboo thing and makes like men uncomfortable or because it's sexualized, but the function of a breast is to feed. I mean, a vagina like naturally is designed to give birth, but then we expect it to try to live up to these standards that we've imposed on them. I know that's kind of all over the place, but I guess, is it, a, do you think that um, it is more of a myth as far as like, I guess I'm wondering like, where does that myth come from? Is it like a shame-based myth? Is it something that, you know, I'm assuming it comes from men because I don't even know if there's any accuracy as far as that goes. Yeah, I, I'm curious where it uh, originally came from. I, I, I feel that it's very much shame-based um, and it strengthens the ideal of the young, untouched version, quote-unquote, um, that is like, you know, like, I don't know, being celebrated and being like perfect. And once you've had a baby, you're like out of, out of interest. Um, so it, it feels like it's a, a myth that is being used to kind of shame. And, um, it's also mostly untrue I want to be careful about it because yeah the vagina and the pelvic floor are designed to bring a baby into the world uh, if that's what you want um, like they're made to expand and also they in most cases go back to their original or near original state in some cases or like I think in 50 I don't know I I'm I want to be careful with saying sure. percentages uh in some cases uh the pelvic floor does uh like change um and then you can go to a pelvic floor physiotherapist there's a lot of exercises uh in case you have prolapse there's ways to there's all kinds of prolapse that can uh, come up uh if uh, that happens. You can do exercises, or in severe cases, there there are ways to um, to relieve the symptoms. Um, and in some cases, yeah, the vagina can change a bit. Like some individuals experience a, a change be before and after birth, or especially if they've given birth multiple times. If you give birth uh, vaginally, you can experience a, a tear, like a perineal tear. That is like there's. This, several kinds of uh, degrees of tearing. Um, your body is is really well capable uh, of healing that, whether or not with a stitch or two, or when you have like fourth degree tearing, it's, it's more. The myth of like, you will stay loose forever is not necessarily true. And even if it were, I mean, so what? Mm -hmm. So what if you're looser? You will find a way to 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 work with that yeah and our bodies are made to change and yeah first and foremost giving birth is is something that should be applauded and not your body shouldn't be shamed for um making that happen afterwards of course there's a market for that too you know now there's the i know one of the kardashians maybe multiple of them i don't know but talked about having like a refresher like a vagina a vaginal refresh where they went in to get a procedure to like retighten oh probably, my God, probably get a labiaplasty i have no idea but it's just something that's made popular that then makes you think that you need a refresher after giving birth or even just once you hit a certain age it's like like you said, like you can figure it out. There's other ways. There's other ways to get your partner to completion. And honestly, I don't think most partners are going to notice. I don't know. I don't want to speak for everyone, but like it just seems like much to, much ado about nothing, in my opinion. Like yeah. that's what you're worried about. Yeah, there are all kinds of things like 
vaginal steams and washes and uh, t- t- things to make it tighter. We have to wax them and shave them and like endure all kinds of like itchiness because of that. Then it needs to be pink, which is like all these things are also highly like racist and it's very ageist because they cannot be saggy. They cannot be like, they can, They have to look young, quote unquote. Like it's, it. we have to look and perform and smell uh, all kinds of ways. Where are the penis washes? Where is the floor? Like do, uh, do yeah. dicks have to smell like lavender? No. <laughs> do balls have to be pink? No. Do they have to be like hairless and perfect and like, no, no. And also penises have a lot like there's a lot of stigma around like performance obviously which is also not great but there is a skewed like balance in what like standards we have we as vulva people with vulva have to live up to um in comparison to like the the applause that penises get for merely existing, Just existing. Uh, in their natural state. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, as you were talking about the, what was it you said? It was a, a, a vagina refresher. refresher. I, I, was thinking, I was thinking, is, is there a penis refresher out there? I don't, I'm sure there is. And I'm, I'm There's guessing. a whole aisle of like lactosid or like all those washes. There's not a whole aisle for, for oh, penises. Oh, wow. See, yeah, would never have even thought of that. And yeah, I, I guess I'm even wondering now, and maybe this is more conspiracy theory of me in my head, but is there a lot of this that you think is commercially driven? Like from like larger... Uh, I guess what are you going like health companies that kind of want to push these procedures, these products out there and contribute to these stigmas in the hopes that they'll continue just making money off of, you know, like young girls having to get these uh, labiaplasties or these washes. Like how much do you think is that based on a purely or again, or am I just going like crazy conspiracy theory that, you know, these companies are running us? Well, the beauty industry is huge and there's a lot of money to be made. So you can just gently conclude there is something going on there too i mean if as long as companies can make money off of our insecurities and wanting to purchase all these things just to live up to that ideal they are sure going to do that and it, like we also have power like we can say okay we're quitting like we're not buying into these like myths and we are not buying all your products anymore because we we are just going to thrive with our natural vulvas. And there's also something to be said for existence under patriarchy. Like, for example, that Rogaine, I think is it Rogaine and um, Viagra are tax-free, but tampons are not, where it's like, yeah, what? Yeah. The hell? Mm -hmm. That's truly, Rogaine and Viagra. It's like two things that are purely, like, very ego-driven. I know, obviously, if you have ED, sure, but like periods, like we have to pay a tax. The fact that we have to pay it all for tam, like, you know what I mean? The fact that that's even something that we have to pay for to me is blows my mind because there's absolutely no control over it. And it is just a bodily function. And it's something, it's something that eventually like is, I mean, that could be its own, that could be its own whole episode, just the stigma around periods in general. But, but because you're losing your hair, you don't have to, and you don't have to pay taxes because you're insecure or like erectile dysfunction. You're so right. It just circles back to like, and I don't want to sound like I'm completely bashing all like penis owners just for existing, but the double standard is pretty clear and um, it's just not fair. How are you? So it's really hard to celebrate your body and feel good about yourself in a world that tries to milk you for every last dollar to change the way you look. And, yeah. You know, yeah. what are some things to, cause I know we're going to have people that are watching this. They're going to be like, oh my gosh, I feel so seen. Like this is really cool. What are some ways you can encourage people 
I want to say I'm leaning a little towards vulva owners right now, just because that's kind of the topic of this, to empower themselves and to feel more comfortable in their skin. I know right off the bat, I would direct them to the vulva gallery because that actually helped me a lot. And even the the book as well. Um, I'm really excited to gift that to my nieces. But if there's anything else that you would recommend for people to feel more empowered and more proud of themselves, what were some things? What has helped for me personally and what I hear back from a lot of the community members of the Volvo Gallery is that seeing diversity is really, really helpful. Just plain seeing that you are not alone, that there are um, all kinds of ways, vulvas or penises with the Body Diversity Gallery, which a uh, project that I've also uh, um, started Like seeing that there's all kinds of ways our bodies can look. And I think just that is is really helpful. Um, and reading the personal stories connected to those images uh, on the vulva gallery. So seeing a vulva that looks like yours and then, you know, seeing someone share their um, story related to that, their experience, whether that is, I have struggled a lot and I've overcome that struggle or I have felt very confident always and I'm so proud of my vulva or I am struggling right now and I'm not sure if I'm ever going to love my vulva, which I find very powerful as well to see that, you know, it, it, it's easy to share like the, I don't want to say success stories, but the ones that are, oh, and now I'm feeling great. And then you're reading that while feeling insecure and you're like, oh, but I don't feel that way and I'm not sure if I'm ever going to get there. Just to see someone who is like, I don't like the way I look and I just want that, you know, I want to share that. It can be so helpful because in the end, that makes me feel less alone. And it's great to see someone who looks like me, who has either gone through the same thing or has experienced something different. Um, but just knowing that you are not alone, that has been a tremendous help for me personally. The first time I saw myself represented, not necessarily related to vulvas, but just in uh, social media to see like uh, a non-binary character or someone who's like quirky with short hair to see someone who's like not like, you know, when I grew up, uh, I was like raised as a girl and I wanted to live up to a certain like idea I always wanted to be liked by everyone and I, I wanted to be seen by everyone and then you know there was a deep-rooted insecurity in that and then I was like oh but I I am not that perfect girl TM like I, I had long hair and I wanted to like wear dresses and I felt always out of sorts when I did that and then once I saw someone I related to I was like oh oh so there's all kinds of ways you can be and I can also embrace the way I am in all my you know, goofiness or quirkiness and there's nothing wrong with me. And that was so powerful. And that's also what has been driving me in all my, like my whole body of work, also with the Body Diversity Gallery and Your Welcome Club, another project of mine that is just like showing there's all kinds of ways to be and look and they are all like good. I don't want to say like you're necessarily like there's this like slogan, you're perfect the way you are, or, like you love yourself. And it's not necessarily even for me, like loving my body, because that can be such a high, like, you know, that can, if you don't love yourself, that can be like, it seems so impossible. Like the road to that self-love can be like so daunting. And I think for me, just being okay or neutral about 
my body and being like, okay, it can bring me places or it can give me joy or I can have fun or not even focus on my body as much anymore because there's so much other stuff to focus on. So just reading through a lot of experiences has been personally a tremendous help. And I, yeah, I could say, yeah, try that and, and see if that could be helpful to you as well. Yeah, I will say the thing about the Volva Gallery, I found myself going to it and then just scrolling to find ones, <laughs> ones that look like me. And then it's nice that there's the added element of the story that goes along with it, because it's one thing to, you know, see somebody who kind of reflects you and then to read the personal story and realize that's a you know, that's another human out there in the world somewhere strolling around right now. It just makes it feel that much more real. And to see your struggles reflected as well is just like, there's really no better way to not feel alone. Also, then you have to know, you know, not only are your struggles not just, you're not just alone in your struggles, but also you're not that different from so many yeah. people. And that's yeah. really, really empowering. Yeah. And, and really exciting. Yeah, yeah. And really comforting. Yeah. yeah. That's the thing. When I started the Volva Gallery in 2016, the first year I was just sharing illustrations and like posting one Volva a day to hopefully reach a person who is insecure about their body and to show them like, oh, you're good the way you are. Um, and then during that first year, I started to receive messages from people who were like, do you want to paint mine? And like, can I share my story <laughs> along with it? And I was at first I was like, whoa, you really want to. OK, that's interesting. OK, let me think about that. And then I was like, OK, let's do it. And then once they shared their story, um, that was like it was such a breakthrough because suddenly the whole community of followers were like, oh, my God, I relate to this. And then I realized there's like I can tell you you're good the way you are. But who am I? Like I'm just a single person who to whom you can or cannot relate. But I'm 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 just one person like but if. Like there's so much power in seeing yourself represented and relating to that and being like, oh, my God, I'm not alone. Like that's so much more powerful than, yeah, than anything. Absolutely. So go check, please go check out the Volvo Gallery and also the Body Diversity Gallery. And what was the other thing? Uh, You're Welcome Club. You're Welcome Club. Yeah. You, what was that? What, a little more about that? Yeah, so Your Welcome Club is another uh, uh, account I have on Instagram, and it celebrates bodies and, and people of, like, all kinds of gender identities and sexualities in a more broad form. So it's, like, yeah, it's illustrations and just diverse representation of uh, of people. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, all of you, I hope we're going to, of course, link all of these below. And I mean, listen, I'm just saying you should probably get the celebration of Volva Diversity book, too, because that to me is something I mean, if not for yourself, but then maybe for some of the youngsters in your life or people that, you know, I'm just trying to prevent the next generation um, from going through. I'm 31 and I still struggle with this. So I can't help but think that if these resources I knew about them when I was younger, maybe I wouldn't still be. Who knows? Maybe I would. But you know, I want to give give other people a chance to jump ahead and maybe um, make some powerful moves for themselves and accepting themselves. So I want to know, have you felt any since you made that video? Why I always hated my vagina. Have how has your journey been since that video? That's been a few years. How would you say your relationship with your vulva has been? I mean, when you were talking about the people that say, you know, I still struggle. I'm definitely one of the people that still struggles. I'm even looking into EMDR just because there's also a layer of trauma that's involved with my situation. 
Um, but it's an ongoing thing. I think I had to close myself off from making content around this for a while because it felt like I was kind of just bleeding on camera. And I was like, I don't know if this is helping me. It might be helping other people, but for a while it just felt too much. Um, so it's still an ongoing thing, but even doing like this episode today to me is a really great step in a positive direction. Um, so, you know, I'm still, I'm still figuring things out, but I feel really grateful that I have a, an outlet for it as well. So to answer your question in a kind of <laughs> weird way, uh, I'm still working on it. That's a perfectly valid answer yeah. too. Like it yeah. shouldn't have to be that, okay, now I make this and as a viewer, like, oh my God, like now she's okay. Yeah, she's okay. <laughs> or like a few years later, you must now, no, that's not how growth goes for many of us. And even like growth can go up and down or like the road to self-acceptance can go up and down. And I think that's a thing that should it would be helpful to see that more in, in, in the media too, that we all have our good and bad days. And we have, like for me, um, I am a non-binary trans person. For me, uh, self-acceptance has, has been a rocky road. And I can, I can now say that I look in the mirror and I'm like pretty confident about the way I look and express myself, but I have shitty days too. And I have a lot of, I have experienced a lot of insecurity about my body too. And you know, that, that it, it doesn't have to be black or white. And I think that is important to show as well that um, our ways of growing towards more self-acceptance like each step is worth the world and sometimes it's two steps forward and three steps back and it doesn't mean that you're not growing it just means that you are developing and it doesn't always go up and up the more I talk about my own personal journey even just with friends I've found so many other people feel this way like and it's similar to the vulva gallery you know you see those stories reflected you might not even you know you could just just by talking about it to your friends about your own insecurities and just putting a name to it, you might be surprised that they, they feel similar and they never thought they'd find someone else who felt that way too, you know? Thank you so much for being here, honestly. Like, oh, it was so much fun. <laughs> it's like a wild road that got us here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'm really grateful you came on. I'm. This is easily my favorite episode already because this is like some. This is like a dream for me. I'm just so happy. I think this kind of conversation is so important, and to have this conversation, kind of just casual way, it's how it should be because this doesn't need to be that big of a deal, right? No, it should not be, <laughs> or it doesn't have to be. I mean, we just met today, yeah. and we're talking about some of the most intimate things but like we did it and it was fun and I feel better having done so so honestly yeah thank you for taking the time out of your trip here to LA uh, to, to spend some time with us uh, and to talk about this like like Merle covered it's a, obviously it's a very uh, it's an important topic but it's an important topic but also a very vulnerable topic and then you know having this sort of conversation on the internet opens yourself up to a lot of sometimes negativity and so, you know, just having this conversation is, uh, I'm just grateful that, you know, both of you have shared your experiences and your knowledge with people that I'm sure will be very, very grateful to to hear. I'm excited to read the comments on this one, honestly, because <laughs> I, I feel like watch this backfire on me horribly. No, usually when stuff like this is talked about, it kind of causes people to rejoice. So we'll link um, all of your socials in the description so you know where you can find Sam Hill and all of their work. And uh, yeah, that's it. All right. That's Thanks all, so much folks. for having Thank me. Thank you. Yeah. It was so yeah. much fun Next talking to you. Next episode is in Amsterdam. <laughs> it's a beautiful time. I mean, oh, yeah. I've never been. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do really want to go. Yeah. Okay.
Let me we'll know. bookmark it. Yeah, yeah. Well. Thank you very much, everyone, for watching. As always, you can subscribe. Link is below for uh, give a leave a like, a comment, a review. Uh, if you're Dutch, give a shout out. <laughs> you know. Uh, but yes, thank you very much as always for being here, and we will see you next week with another episode. Tonight.